Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5pm, at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His Kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. funny New Year's, aren't they? Because uh, they come, and we know what they, they do every year, but uh, each one is this process of um, just letting go of the old and kind of just imagining what the new one holds. And for some of you, you might have a real clear idea this year of what's coming up and things that you have um, planned to do. And uh, we're hearing somebody's holiday plans just this week, and they sound very exciting. And just a relief after all those years with COVID when we couldn't go anywhere and just recently when you could, how hard it was and nice to have Dawn back in the country. And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so being um, Australia, things are a bit slow to kind of get off the ground with the new year. If you're in the UK, you get this really short holiday for Christmas and you can be back at work on a kind of 2nd or 3rd of January in the rain or sometimes the snow and it comes around really quickly. But uh, but here there's this kind of long burn of a summer until Australia Day and then it's like, yeah, we're back into it again. Um, for some of you, you're looking at me strangely because you've been hard at work for several weeks and uh, hasn't kind of changed very much, but uh, but yeah, for those of you who sent the kids back to school, maybe that's your first breath that you've had, where you can think, yes, <laughs> I could hear a yes there. Um, it's it's nice to uh, just stop and pause and think and say, Lord, this is uh, this is your year. So what we're going to look at tonight is um, um, being a living sacrifice and. Uh, It's a really kind of Christian-sounding word, isn't it? And it comes from uh, Romans 12 in the first couple of verses. And as we kind of get into this, we're going to see um, just what Paul's doing here. And there's an invitation today for us all. And there's just a special grace on this message um, because it sits at a place in the book where Paul's about to launch into uh, um, just all the things that are open for us to do as believers in Christ, but um, we're going to get into that. I wonder, Dan, if you could bring up the next slide. Um, So I wonder if we ought to do this one year, sit down and give you an A4 piece of paper and say, what's God's will for the year? And you can start listening and writing down, and then at the end of the year, we'll have a little review and see how close you got to to what he had in store for you. Um, But it's a good question to ask, and... um, Right now, you might be feeling raring to go. You might be feeling excited. You might be feeling refreshed and uh, ready for the year. Some of you might be feeling (laughs) like you could do with another 10 Christmases to uh, get ready to start this year, and you're not quite ready for it. It's happening too soon to you. Um, So just take a moment just to think, how are you feeling? And it could be a mixture. There could be things that uh, is, uh, you know, uh, happy thoughts, uh, or maybe there's some that are there that you're like, oh no, I've got this again, and I've got to deal with this, this person at work, or that friend at church, or however it is, you know, we carry around this stuff, don't we? So I'm just going to pause and just let you think, 
Just reflect, tune into your feelings. And of course, if it was as simple as giving you uh, a kind of uh, faxed version of God's will for the year and uh, giving each of you a special download, that still doesn't make it easy, does it? Because God's will, as we know, can sometimes be something confronting, like it was for Jesus in the garden. And he had to come to terms with that, where he had to say, not my will, but yours. And so... We have to ask ourselves, whatever God's saying to us, you know, are we in a place where we're willing to say yes? Even if it was very clear and he did hire one of those planes out and wrote in the sky a message for you and, and you just couldn't deny that was God speaking to you, you still have to come to that place where you actually say, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours. And so we just wanted to take time um, this week and over the coming uh, next couple of messages to um, not assume that we're all in a place of ready to say, yes, Lord, here we are, um, send me. Because for some of us, maybe we're at that place. I mean, you can give me a wave if you're bold enough to say, I'm ready there now and I'm in that place for the year. That's great. It's good to see. And there's somebody else also in that place. For some of us, it might take a little while and an invitation for us to come into that place where we give God uh, our yes and say, here I am, Lord. I want to be this living sacrifice. So let's have a look into this passage and see if we can get some help with this question and learn about what it means to be a living sacrifice. So reading from Romans 12, if you've got your Bibles with you, um, I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, one paragraph just mind-blowing concepts in there. I um, started out, um, if we go on to the next one, thanks, uh, Dan. I asked Keris this week, what's a living sacrifice? She said, oh, that sounds very Bible-ish. Um, I said, have you got any more? Well, isn't it something about pleasing God? Um, so I realized that these, these things, we can throw them around, we can say them, we can read them. But sometimes we don't stop to think what it means. I mean, uh, I don't know. Somewhere in my Bible it says Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. So what's Paul doing here? What, why are we sacrificing anything? Uh, are we going to add to what the work that Jesus has done? So all these questions probably will come up if you pause on it and think about it. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? You know, does it mean I've heard a, a really bad illustration and I kind of get the sentiment of the message. Uh, preacher said, what's the problem with uh, living sacrifices is that they tend to crawl off the altar. And that kind of would go down well in a certain church. But it kind of again misses the point. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. God's not asking us to um, 
you know, give our lives as in physically die. Jesus has done that. So we've got to kind of explore what Paul is doing here and what's behind this, uh, this phrase. So I always find it helpful um, to read around in other translations. Anybody else like to do that? You've got a few versions of the Bible open and you read another version and it just says it in a different way and it helps you kind of get an angle on it. I really like the message and um, the uh, uh, genius of Eugene Peterson in writing the message is that it's not a word-for-word translation. It's a thought-for-thought translation. So it's, um, it's a paraphrase. So what, what, what Eugene's trying to do is take his scholarly scriptural knowledge and try and convey the thought that's in that passage and help get underneath it. And we'll see today how he's done it in this wonderful little passage at Romans 12. So this is what it says in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So, all of a sudden we've got this phrase, living sacrifice, and, uh, and Eugene Peterson has now kind of made that a little bit more ordinary for us. We're talking about our everyday, our ordinary life, and offering that to God. And um, what's going on here at the beginning of Romans 12, it's, it's actually... Uh, a pivot verse or a hinge verse it sits right at the well actually not at the middle of the book Ephesians is the easiest to see this with if you do Ephesians 1 to 3 you see something what the theologians call the indicative and I've got that there as a reference it's describing our new way of being in God we've been made new creations so it's all about our being it's about our new identity and then with Ephesians, from verse 4, 1 onwards, you suddenly start to get lots of do this, do that, do this, do that. And that's what's called the imperative. And that's talking about what we should be doing on the basis of being new creations, on the basis of what God has already done. So with Romans, this is the verse. This is the verse where Paul says that, that word at the beginning, we're going to go back to the NIV in a moment, therefore... And therefore could be based on the last sentence that he's just said. And you can ask yourself, what's it there for? But actually in this case, it's based on the first 11 chapters of Romans. So we haven't got time. You'll be pleased to exegete all of Romans 1 to 11 tonight. So we're going to lean a little bit on Paul and what he's doing in this passage to uncover this kind of therefore. And that becomes the basis for moving into and understanding what he's saying in this message. So catch that thing about the indicative is to do with our being 
and the imperative is to do with our doing. Because often what happens is people can get it wrong way round and they can make it all about the doing. And all of a sudden, if we don't do those things, somehow we don't qualify to be good enough to be God's children. Can you see how that's kind of um, the cart before the horse? which is a really old 19th century reference, which we haven't had horses and carts for a long time, but I think it still kind of is very clear that uh, it doesn't work to do it that way around. The whole design of scripture is on the basis of what God has done. So I've highlighted there in italics this uh, sentence that you actually won't find in the passage. What Peterson's doing is understanding the context uh, of Romans 1 to 11 and where we're heading through 12 to 16. And he's going to drop in just a real key to understanding uh, this passage. So embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, in large part, God's already done it. He could have said embracing what God has done for you, but God is still doing stuff for you today. And he's still, Jesus, interceding at the right hand of the Father for you. And so there's this wonderful understanding here that we have to come back to building everything on the basis of what God's already done. Because if we try and build it on what we do, we can easily end up in error. And certainly uh, it won't be long before we end up with religion where it's about doing and everything's driven by doing. And if other people aren't doing the right thing, then all of a sudden um, they, they become disqualified. But this faith that we have is totally built upon God's mercy and grace. And that's what we're going to get to in this passage tonight. So now we're into uh, the NIV again. So therefore, in view of God's mercy. Now what Paul's just done for you, if there ever was a kind of uni question to what does chapters 1 to 11 uh, sum it up. Well, you, you can't do better than steal Paul's words here. In 1 to 11, and there's lots of interpretations and complications through Romans and things like that, but what Paul has done is summed it up. It's all about God's mercy. Chapters 1 to 11 is this wonderful unpacking of what God's mercy offers us, especially as Gentiles. Um, and Paul unpacks all of that in those chapters. So, the mercies of God is what we need to have in full view as we understand what this passage is about. Now, the mercies of God we could sum up as the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so much more than that. But if you just take that alone, God's mercy is that Jesus died for you and gave you life. Why is that merciful? Because you couldn't do it. There's nothing you could do to do that. That was on God. There was no qualification you had to do to get that. This is a free gift. And that's why it's incredible mercy that we have at the heart of the gospel, this story of what Jesus has done for us. So we need to keep that in full view. And um, I'm going to keep that uh, phrase of Peterson's near to hand. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. So as we dig into this mercy, all who believe in him are justified by faith. In other words, that deals with the past. 
also deals with the present and the future, which will continue to need to be justified by faith. But God has done it. He's justified us by faith. We're reconciled to God. It means in this moment, right in the presence now, you could boldly approach the throne of grace, it says in Scripture. We have nothing to fear from Father God because on his side, he's done everything. Now, you may, might not have done the dishes today. Maybe you didn't take the rubbish out or walk the dog. Whatever it is, um, God doesn't hold that against you. Your wife might do or your parents or whoever, but we need to understand what God has done. We can boldly approach him without any fear because of what he's done. We're completely reconciled. And if there is sin to confess, he just lays it out for us, doesn't he? Just confess your sins to one another. The sacrifice has been done. The answer's there for it. So if there's something that's getting between you and God, confess that sin. But you can come to him boldly and without fear. And we also know part of the mercy is that we have an everlasting hope. So this isn't just dealing with the past. It isn't dealing with the present, that we can walk right up to God today in this moment. But it deals with the future. For all time, there is a hope that we will be with him. And everybody who believes and takes a hold of this mercy, we will be with him together. That's an incredible hope. So unpacking this mercy, what we have is something that is, is dealing with everything that's ever gone and everything that ever will be. So as we stand here in the present today, we need to be really mindful of coming into line with God's will. So if God's not holding the past against us, what does it say in Scripture? He moves, removes sin as far as east is from west. And it's not like one of those little compasses where you've got the W and the E quite close to each other. They're pointing, so E you never quite get to. And W you never quite get to. They're so far removed from each other that they can never, ever be measured. That's how far your sin is away from you. Yet, Lots of us, and we all do it, don't we? Especially this time of year, because you notice what happens with the adverts in the run-up to Christmas. We've got to eat lots of turkey. And as soon as it ticks over, January 1, you get all the, uh, the, uh, the gyms and the, the New Year's resolutions and the fitness things coming in. The, uh, the marketing world, they know exactly how to do it. And it, it saddens me that already on Christmas Eve, they're packing up and they're, they're putting out the Easter's egg, Easter eggs and things like that. But we follow and come under that pattern where we think that somehow we are, um, we've got to kind of bring all this baggage with us and try and deal with it again. The reality is, if we're looking in the rearview mirror, it doesn't align with where God is looking for us. God is focused on our future. He's focused on the plans that he's made for you this year. So I just want to give you um, a chance to turn around. If there's things that you're looking at, maybe, maybe it's things that have been done to you, as well as the things that you've done, sins that others have done to you that still consume your attention. Because we can't focus on God's mercy and have that in full view if we're looking back upon sin, whether it's ours or somebody else's.
So I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do what he does and just give you a moment to experience that mercy. You're holy and blameless. You stand before him in Christ without spot or blemish. And so here is the one ministering the word of God today. I pronounce you like God does is forgiven. The debt is paid in full. And I want you to feel him draw close to you as you draw close to him and you acknowledge his truth about what he says for you. Remember that passage? Uh, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So start believing that truth. He's not holding anything against you. And I'm going to kind of keep drilling down on this because this is often the problem I find. And we all do it. And it's handy to have somebody else to point out to you that actually Jesus has dealt with that. But in Romans 8, one of those chapters, there's this wonderful scripture. And this is what it says. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. Romans eight thirty four. Can you see how this is just loaded with mercy? So at this point, it would be wrong to bring anything with us that either we hold against ourselves or we hold against somebody else. God's forgiven that. So to journey into the rest of the message, we've got to be prepared to let go of all of that and just say, thank you. And that's what we do every time, hopefully, we come in worship and we acknowledge what Jesus has done. So think about it like taking a bath in his mercy. I don't take a lot of baths. My um, son does. Um, and uh, he likes to fill it right to the top. And uh, I'm, as the dad, thinking of all the water bills and how much it's going to cost. But there's nothing he likes more than just to kind of soak in a bath. And I used to like that. But now, you know, life's too busy for baths for me. So you jump in and out the shower, you get washed. It's just a function. But uh, I know some people, they really love baths and they, they swear that that's a way that they can just relax and just feel themselves. And maybe, maybe that's you. Uh, I don't know who's a bath person. But you know when you soak in a bath and you come out all wrinkly and you, feel, you can feel the, uh, uh, the kind of grooves on your skin? It's amazing. It's horrible to think what's kind of filling in those grooves when you're not having a bath. But suddenly when you've had a bath, it, it just feels different, the texture of your skin. And that's the, that's the nature of this mercy. It's, it's something here that Jesus is wanting us to soak in. So I've stolen something from John Piper. And he says, Roman 12, Romans 12 drips with mercy. So remember where we're at. We're at the beginning of this passage. And it goes on to say all of these things in this passage. Show mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. 
Give to the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. Associate with the lowly. Repay no one for evil. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, if you haven't soaked in that bath of mercy and you try and read that list as something that you should be as a good Christian, <laughs> I think we're all pretty soon condemned. Maybe we do those things, some of us, every day and we're, we're used to feeding our enemies or not taking vengeance or not, um, you know, uh, blessing people who, who've persecuted us and all that stuff. But can you see this is the right way around? Because of what God has done, God has done all these things for us. He's shown us incredible mercy. If we can kind of come to a place of recognizing that, then we're going to be in a position where this becomes the life of a follower of Jesus. So build your lives on mercy and become merciful. Don't see this as a, a kind of test where you have to tick it to qualify. <laughs> How well am I doing with the Christian life? See it as a menu, an invitation. Pick one of those things and say, Lord, help me do one of those things this week. I'd love to feed my enemy. I'd love to repay somebody who, who has shown me evil. I'd like to repay them good. I'd like to give to the saints. Show me somebody I can give to. Can you see how the grace that's in that, it doesn't become something that, that you know, puts you down. This is, this is an opportunity. You're being made into the likeness of Christ. So it's really important that our doing must flow out of our new being in Christ. Or we become religious very quickly and we make this the new law which we've been set free from. So you might think what I'm saying today is that I want you to go out of here and do lots of merciful things. Well, great. If you do, that's good. You'll be witnessing to Christ. But actually only if you do what's behind all of that. And this is what Paul is getting to here. He says, this is your true and proper worship. I love coming on a Sunday and hearing people's incredible gifts and voices and, and joining in and being led in worship and singing. That's, that's, that's one part of worship that is very special. Um, be nice to have maybe Joe and Michael turn up in your bedroom in the morning, wouldn't it? And play you a couple of songs as you get out of bed and you start the day. And, um, but we don't have that. It's a weird thought, isn't it? But if we, if we had that all the time, it would be good. But actually, this is, this is not all that worship is. Worship is so much more. And this is what this passage is getting to. So when we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, that actually becomes our worship to God. But we can't just do things in the expect of some kind of credit. There's no credit. There's no credit for going out and feeding your enemies and things like that. Hopefully... Hopefully, through your witness, you can point them to Christ. But doing mercy is not our chief end. Worshipping God is. See, if I'm in a place where I know that I've been shown incredible mercy and I'm giving thanks to the Lord, when somebody comes along and bops me on the nose, I'm in a place where I can say, 
okay, I forgive you. If I'm not in a place like that, maybe I could say, I forgive you. I've got to forgive you. Can you see? (laughs) It's different. Because Christ has done it for you, there's an invitation that you can be like him. And so this is where the worship element comes in. And you have this kind of cruciform shape to it. So as you acknowledge his mercy to you, you can extend mercy to others. So the priority of the Christian life has everything to do with being worshipful to God. Before we give ourselves away in mercy to humans, we need to make sure that we've given ourselves in worship to God. So, John Piper, he wisely says, before we give ourselves in mercy, we need to give ourselves in worship. And that might sound like uh, an obvious thing, but it's so easy, isn't it, to do the right thing. But actually, to recognize that you're a beneficiary of mercy, you're actually drawing down from this this bank and then you can make a deposit in somebody else's life there's this flow that you receive that mercy in your worship and then you extend it to others I'm going to read um, background story to one of the songs that we sung tonight the last one we sung draw me close you familiar with that Was that new for anybody tonight, that song? You'd not sung that before? Well, only as I was pulling this message together did I look it up. I felt to sing this song, and I thought that was important. And then uh, in looking for the lyrics, I stumbled across the story. It was written by a a worship uh, pastor, a vineyard worship pastor called Kelly Carpenter. And uh, he wrote it in January 94. So if you do the maths, what's that? long time ago 29 years ago wow I knew we've been singing it a while but uh, nearly three decades so this is what he says I'd been leading worship and pastoring the, the worship ministry at our church for about two years during this time I'd put myself under a lot of pressure I was new to both leading and pastoring and although I had a lot of confidence musically I felt pretty green in worship leading and totally overwhelmed with the people leadership aspect. I got so busy and focused on the doing the work that my personal connection with God suffered. People wonder how this can happen to someone in ministry, but this situation is all too common for church leaders and believers in general. When we come to know Christ, we arrive acutely aware of our brokenness and praying for personal transformation. But then we get better And we learn how to do church, do scripture reading, do prayer, do good things for others, and do anything that is considered a good thing for a Christ follower to do. And sometimes living the Christian life becomes more focused on the doing rather than the relationship with Christ. Can you see why this is relevant? One Sunday in January 94, I came home after leading worship music. 
at my faith community. And I felt tired and down. I sat down at the piano and the song just started pouring out of my heart. I realized that I wanted to know Jesus more than I wanted to do good works for him. And that somehow I'd lost connection with him. When I spontaneously sang, I give it all up again to hear you say that I'm your friend, my heart melted. I later rewrote that line as I lay it all down again, which I know that's how you know it today. The story doesn't end there. This song has a universal application of daily surrender. Do we lay down our own agendas for the greater thing of following Christ and asking what he would like us to do? Is that something we're willing to do daily? So I'm nearly at the close of what I wanted to say. But I just thought how wonderful that we have a story that comes out of this scripture that lines up, which is about this priority of being, being in relationship with God, giving our thanks to him, understanding the mercy that we have, living in that place where we're not looking in our rearview mirror. And sure, there's stuff to do. God wants us to do the other stuff. Romans doesn't stop at chapter 11. It carries on. But we need to do that stuff out of a place of being in relationship with God where we know he's our friend. He's done everything he needs to do. We need to embrace what he's done. And then we can do um, the stuff for him that he asks us to. So I'm going to wrap up with just a very simple formula. And I could have just come to you and presented this last slide and said this is this um, picture of what's going on here in terms of understanding God's will. But we're not ready for this until we've done everything that I've said up until now. We need to have God's mercy in full view. We need to understand that worship is the priority. And then if we do that, then we can actually have a very simple pattern for determining what God's will is for our lives. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And then we become informed. And hopefully those words displayed like that is something you can take away for you. Do not be conformed, be transformed, so that you can be informed. And so I'll just lean back into... Um, the message in it, how it translates these particular um, sentences. So don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. It's easy to do, isn't it? Your work culture, you don't want to rock the boat. Maybe at school, everybody's doing that. So you don't want to say that actually, I don't want to be doing that. <laughs> My son Daniel, uh, when he was on um, the uh, YWAM DTS in London, he, uh, he created this little magazine. One time I'd like him to come up here and share a little bit out of it. But uh, his passion was riding skateboards. He finds God in that place of doing tricks and um, crashing down several times and hopefully not breaking too many bones. He, he broke his first bone this time last year. And he was the last of the grandchildren to break a bone, which was always a miracle to me, um, given that he was the one doing most of the crazy stuff. Um, but he, he called this magazine Switch, and it's when you ride your skateboard kind of back to front. So there's a kind of normal stance that we all have, whether it's your left foot forward or your right foot forward. But it's when you switch around, and it becomes harder. And so if you're not a skater, you, you, you can 
not notice that, but somebody riding the board switch is kind of like going against the tide. So that was his thought in telling the story of how the Christian life is going against culture. We have to um, talk about the kingdom that's coming, not about the world that exists today that so easily wants to sweep us up in its tide. Being transformed, this is how Eugene Peterson translates it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Wherever we are on the journey of being transformed with Christ, maybe a while ago we used to swear and drink or some other things we know we're not to do and now we don't. It's not about so much where you are at on the journey so long as that you've got your eyes fixed on Jesus and that you're moving towards him. There's incredible grace for anybody who comes into the kingdom. And if you're stuck there 30 years after being saved, then you think maybe something's not lining up. But for each of us, we need to understand that the change comes from the inside. If we're living a world where it's about outward conformity, then we're actually living a lie, aren't we? And sometimes we need to be honest with where we're at. Because even those of us who are in a place where we feel everything's good and we're in a good place with God and we've got to a settled maturity in our Christian walk. There are days where we think, can I just not bother today? (laughs) Can I just have a day off? And there's an invitation here again that we just allow God to come and do in us that bit that we need to do. We don't have to pretend He will be the one who comes and empower us so that we can say, not my will, but yours. So it's really important to understand transformation is something that that God's taken care of and he's taking care of with you. And the final part, this is how um, Peterson translates it, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And of course, if you've done all of those things, it's easy to land in that place of knowing what God's will is. And um, it's not just a matter of do not murder and, you know, do not do this, do not do that. Um, Those things are fairly obvious. They're obvious to the world. Um, But the invitation is to wake up of a morning and to hear the Holy Spirit give you a nudge in this direction towards this person or to reflect on maybe I'm going to do this a different way. So God comes into your life and he speaks to you in an intimate way. And all of a sudden you make decisions about what it is he wants you to do. Whether it's, you know, becoming a dress designer or a baker or a minister of God's word. There's incredible grace in what God has done for us. And he invites us to find it by dwelling in this place. So we're going to end with the very simple thing that he's left us to do, which is he said, do this in remembrance of me. Break bread, drink wine. And it's symbolic of the meal that we have together as a fellowship of believers in Christ. And as we do that, of course, we're acknowledging his sacrifice. But 
today and over the next coming weeks, there'll be an invitation in various ways for you to come and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. <laughs> I willingly give my life, my everyday, ordinary life as a sacrifice. And so Helen's going to come out and lead us in that process. And um, we're just going to spend a little bit of time following whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you as we do this. So again, there's no religious way of doing this. There's not a, a way that um, has to be, um, you know, for you to sit, stand, lie down. I just want to invite you as if you were at home in your own comfort of your bedroom, your kitchen table, um, to just have that quiet moment with him and maybe some of you want to do it together. Uh, as a family, as a couple, um, and that's all appropriate too. But uh, I just want to invite you to come and respond, you know, in the way to him. Because this is personal. This is about your relationship with him. This isn't ticking a box. This isn't trying to qualify. You're in. And now he's saying, come eat with me.